The Bible says that in heaven we'll sing the song of Moses. Have you ever stopped and thought about what that song's going to be? What is the song of Moses? Well, I believe I'll just go ahead and tell you. I was down there in bondage in Egypt land. A slave, hopeless, helpless, and God sent a redeemer. And through that redeemer and his great and mighty works, he brought me out of the slave hold of sin and took me across the waters to the promised land and gave me the promised land. Now you say, what in the world? Let's put that in the context of the gospel, Keith. Well, I was a slave to sin. I was hopeless and helpless. I couldn't tell you the times that I woke up and had my face sticking in a toilet, throwing up, saying, I'll never do this again. But I'm going to tell you what, you let a couple of days go by and I'd be right back doing the same old thing because I was a slave to that sin. But God sent a Redeemer. And that Redeemer through great and mighty works brought me out of the bondage of sin and took me to the promised land. Now I've not got there yet, but I'm on my way. And because the Lord Jesus Christ is my guide, I'm as sure to get there as I'm standing before you this morning. And the question is, is heaven your home? Are you going to get there? Have you been delivered from the slave hold of sin and given that uh, promise of heaven is your home? Jesus is your Savior and a relationship with God the Father in heaven. You say, Keith, how do I know that? Well, ask yourself, what's my life look like? Have I been changed? Am I still doing the things that I always did? I mean, when the Word says it's right and the Word says it's wrong, do I do what the Word says? If the answer's in the negative, then it's quite likely that Jesus is not your Savior and that heaven is not your home. You say, what do I need to do about that, Keith? Well, you could come right now and you could say, Jesus, I've tried the best I could. I've given it my all and I've messed it up. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to commit all that I am and all that I ever hope to, to ever be into your hands this morning, trusting in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And I can't live this life, Jesus, but what I'm going to do is die to myself, and I'm going to let you begin to live your life through me. And I'll get it wrong. I know I will. But each and every day as I walk that path, I'll get a little better and a little better through the power of the Holy Spirit till one day I'll arrive at heaven. And when God the Father looks at Keith Rose, looks at me, looks at you, and looks at the Lord Jesus Christ, there'll be no difference between the two because He will have conformed me into the image of His Son. He can do that for you this morning, but first you've got to be willing to lay it all down. All the pride, all the presuppositions, all the past and say, God, here I am if you'll have me. And if you'll do that this morning, believe in the gospel, He will say yes and you can leave a different person than you came and 10,000 years in heaven you can be standing there singing the song of Moses the song of the redeemed I once was lost and now I'm found I was blind but now I see my question is this morning why no why oh why would anybody turn down that offer this morning I want to tell you something else he said to the Christian, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Why? 
Would you walk out of this place carrying a burden that was meant to be carried by the Lord Jesus Christ? Whatever that is, lay it down and let Him carry that burden for you this morning. I promise you, He's better at it than you are. He's better at it than I am. And He wants you to leave this morning redeemed and freed with peace that passes all understanding. Listen, all the chaos in the world is not going to go away if you become a Christian, if you commit your life to following Him. But what it will do is allow you to be able to walk through the chaos and come out alive and unscarred on the other side. And He wants that for you this morning. Well, we're talking about the importance of one. Who's your one? My prayer is there's not a person here today that leaves this place that is, will not uh, and has not uh, come to that place that they're willing to take on that one person, that one uh, that God wants them to have. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to, to the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter number 1. One day a man was walking along the beach, uh, and he noticed this little boy uh, walking along, and he was picking something up, and he was just chucking it, throwing it back into the ocean. Well, it raised the man's curiosity, and he walks up to the little boy, and he says, little boy, what are you, what are you doing? And the little boy says, well, you see all these starfish? They're up here on, the, on, on the, the bank. They're up here on the shore and the tide's going out. And if I don't chuck them back in the ocean, they're going to lay up here and get burned up by the sun and they're going to die. Well, that man just laughed at that little boy. Little boy, do you not know how foolish that is? As far as I can see up the beach and as far as I can see down the beach, there's thousands, if not millions of these starfish what difference do you think you're going to make? The little boy unfazed just grins at that old man and reaches down and picks up another starfish and chucks that thing back in the ocean and said, I made a difference in that one's life, didn't I? Listen, that's the importance of one this morning. One soul, one life, one destiny. And God has given us that responsibility to share with that person the importance of one. When a stone is dropped into a lake, it quickly disappears from sight. But its impact leaves behind a series of ripples that broaden and reach across the water. In the same way, the impact of one life will leave behind an influence for good that will reach the lives of many others. We're prone to think as Think of one as small, insignificant. I mean, who can eat just one? You ever walked into somebody's house and they got a big old jar of cookies and they hand you one? Come on now. Don't be greedy. We think of one as being insignificant. The value of one dollar. Well, a dollar don't buy what it used to but a dollar will buy something. One, we think about it, it's insignificant, but the Bible consistently speaks of one. One pearl of great price. One lost sheep, one wayward son, one lost coin. Disciples of Jesus, if we're not careful, often overlook the value, the, the, the importance of, 
Just one. One invitation to church. One message of hope. Do you know what the most important message that I've ever preached in my life is? The next one. One message of hope. One message of salvation. One invitation to that person. One friendly gesture. One neighbor. One co-worker. One friend. We forget that the kingdom of God is built. One person at a time. I got a question this morning. And then we'll move on to reading the scripture. I'm going to ask you for the next just a few seconds to clear your mind. I know that's hard to do. Good gracious, if you had a mind like mine, you'd say, man, that thing's hard to clear. It's crazy. But to the best of your ability, just clear your mind. And ask yourself this question. Can I name one person, one person, who through my witness, my testimony, sharing of the gospel, has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and is now a disciple of Christ following Him. Can you name just one? You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 16, that it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. So you're not going to reach that one by being their buddy, though that's a part of it. You're not going to reach that one though through sharing your testimony, though that's part of it. You're not going to reach that one by just being nice and, and, and friendly or meeting the physical needs of a person. I mean, we can give all the food in the world and all the, pay all the power bills in the world, but it won't do a bit of good to get a person to heaven until we then share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it, it, it. What's the it? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So we've got to get to that point and realize that to reach that one, we've got to be bold enough to step away from the friendship, away from the meeting the needs and go into that unknown territory of sharing the gospel with that person and then accepting the results as the Holy Spirit lays those things out after we've shared the gospel. John chapter number 1, beginning at verse number 45, the Bible records these words. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, or saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip caught thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Now I want you to turn in your Bible for just a minute to Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. 
I'm just going to read two verses, Matthew 13, beginning at verse number 45. It'll be up on the screen. Matthew 13, verse number 45. Here Jesus is painting us a picture. He's describing to his hearers, the, us today, the reader, the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what he says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The importance of one. Well, from what we've talked about today, I believe there's three actions that we can take as God's children to agree with him and highlight the importance of of one. Number one, commit. Commit to being an intentional witness. If you look in this passage here, listen to what it says. It kind of passes over. It's easy to do if we're not careful. One little word there. The Bible says, Philip findeth Nathaniel. Now before you find something, what do you have to be doing? There's a prerequisite. You have to be looking for something. And the reason Philip found Nathaniel is because he was intentionally looking for Nathaniel. Commit to be an intentional witness. It's going to require uh, effort on our part, on my part, on your part. It's not just going to happen. It's going to require accountability on our part and accountability to God and accountability to the Word of God and accountability to the people around us in the, uh, uh, the, the church, the house of God. You're going to need partners who will in, uh, join with you in this mission uh, that you can be accountable to. You're also going to be, need maturity as a disciple, a disciple maker in order to persevere in this mission of being an intentional witness. So commit to be, being an intentional witness. Um, well, I just believe this with all of my heart. Those who have accepted the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ through being born again into the family of God will commit to the mission of making disciples. If you've never committed to that mission, you can do it right now. Or you're not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. I, I, I've told this story before uh, about three frogs that were sitting on a lily pad and they were in this pond. And they're sitting around talking and, and all three of those frogs decided to jump in the pond. Now, how many of those frogs were still on the lily pad? Three. All they did was decide. They ain't one of them jumped in yet. Hey, there's a lot of Christians that made decisions, but they're still sitting on the pew. And, and, and the Bible says that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And it don't do any good this morning to make some decision if you're not then going to jump off the lily pad into the pond. Amen? You see, the mission is not to decide to follow Christ. The mission is to follow Christ. So quit making decisions for the Lord Jesus Christ and start living like a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shane gets so mad at me. I listened to my Jordan Peterson on podcast and 
he was talking again this morning about how he's scared to say he believes in God because he understands it's a long way between an utterance of words and true belief. Because true belief requires action on our part. And we've, we've done this thing so long in the United States of America that we've got this cultural Christianity that just anybody can say I'm a Christian and they believe it, their granny will affirm it. Uh, everybody in their house will say, yeah, you're a Christian because you said you was, even though there ain't nothing in your life looks like a Christian, nothing that act like a Christian, and you don't do anything through the house of God to bring glory to God. But yeah, oh yeah, he made some little profession sometime and said some words with his mouth, and therefore I know heaven's going to be his home. Uh-uh, no, that's not biblical. I don't say that because I don't like you. I say it because I love you, and I want to see you in the kingdom of God one day. There's got to be a change takes place. take place. So we must be an intentional witness. What's holding you back? Let me read you a, a passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of Mark. This is what the Bible says in Mark chapter 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Do you know what that tells me? That one soul is priceless. One. That the entire cumulative value of everything in the universe does not equal the value of one human soul. Well, I mean, we'll trade that thing for just a little bit of overtime so we can have a little bit more money in the bank. Amen? Ouch, if you can't say amen. I, I mean, we'll, we'll trade that thing for the hopes and the dreams, the one in 370 million chance that our child might make it to the big time playing major league ball for a soul and devote all that we've got to that. I mean, oftentimes we're so cheap on the scale of what a soul's worth that we'll trade it for a sitcom that only lasts 30 minutes and 15 minutes later we done forgot what the thing was about. Ouch, preacher. You see, the Bible says that the value of a soul is priceless. And that when the merchant found that pearl of great price, he didn't sell 99% of all that he had. He sold all, everything, laid it all on the line to get that one pearl that was so valuable. Well, ask ourselves, what's the value of a human soul? Well, it doesn't do us any good just to commit to be an intentional witness. Then we've got to go and tell. You see, right here in the text, Philip finds Nathaniel, and he don't just say, hey, let's talk about the football game, or hey, hey, let's me and you be buddies, though that, all that stuff's good and there's nothing wrong with it. But look what he says. We have found him of whom Moses and the law 
and the prophets did write Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, you don't think there might be a lot in that, but see, Nathaniel knew all that was written in the law and all that the prophets had written about Jesus. So in that statement, uh, Philip shared with him the good news of the gospel. I mean, he was waiting on the Messiah. He was waiting on a Redeemer. He was waiting on a Savior. So what am I saying? What is that crazy preacher? I'm saying it doesn't do any good to commit. It don't even do uh, any good to, to, to meet those people. We must communicate to those people the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to share with those one unchurched, unserved person. Now, how do we do that? Well, you could. The Bible simply says that Philip found Nathaniel. I mean, you could invite him to breakfast. You could invite him to lunch. You could invite that person over to your house sometime. I, I, I'm just going to ask you to make a commitment right here where you sit. Would everybody, I'm just going to lay it all on the line. I might as well. September of this year, not got the date yet, but it's going to be in September. We're going to have a Who's Your One Sunday. A Who is Your One Sunday. And I'm going to ask every person here under the sound of my voice right now, to commit to finding that one, to bring them. You see, Philip, not only did he tell him about Jesus, but then he come and see, brought him to Jesus. So we go and tell, and the, you know, the come and see, there's two aspects to that. So I'm going to ask you, would you commit right now where you sit that before September you're going to go out and good gracious I'm getting excited imagine what would happen in a church if every single one of us on a Sunday morning would bring one person to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that's what I'm going to ask you to do in September bring one hey if you can find 20 good for you but just commit that I'm going to find that one and I'm going to bring him I'm going to bring him like Philip did to the Lord Jesus to come and hear the gospel we'll be putting more information out about that giving you strategies ways to be able uh, to do that but each one bring one to come and see come and hear we can't place a value on that it might cost you a little money it might cost you a little time it might cost you everything you got but the question is what's it worth for one soul to come and hear and come to know Jesus. Andrew invited Peter, uh, Philip, uh, to come to meet Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. You yourselves are our letter. Who's that? That's me. That's you. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter. Delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What's that say? It says, I'm the Word of God. I'm the Bible. That a lot of people, hey, they're not going to open up this book and read it. They're not going to read John 3.16. That tells them that God loved them so much that He sent His only begotten Son. But I can be the Word of God. I can be the Bible to that person. That God's Word is written on my heart for the world to see. It's written on your heart if you're a believer. And He says, get up, go and tell and be that tablet, be that book, be the gospel to the world that needs to hear it. Number three, we need to recognize and repent of excuses. 
I think one of the most troubling and terrifying things going on in our world today is we have lost the ability to self-analyze. I mean, we've been told so long by our parents and our grandparents and psychologists in the media that you're just fine the way you are, that we've come to believe that lie that's straight out of the pits of hell. We need to recognize and repent of the excuses that we make. You see, Jesus commanded us to tell others. Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The first and foremost reason that we should tell others, that we should commit to be an intentional witness, that we should go and tell others about Him, is that it's the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator of the universe. And one day we're going to stand before Him and give an account of what we did with the gospel that was entrusted to us. So I do it because he told me to. And he's boss, and I'm not. And if there was a way that it could be messed up, I'd find it. So I'm better off going with his plan than my plan. Acts chapter number 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ commanded us to tell others about Him and then promised to give us the power to do it. So saying I'm not qualified is not an excuse. We need to repent of excuses and recognize them. Secondly, you are the only one that can reach that one that God's got for you to reach listen there's people out there that I can't reach there's folks that only you can reach and the only way that person who only you can reach will be reached is if you go and tell them and bring that person to the Lord Jesus Christ so I do it because he told me to and I do it because he's got somebody out there that needs to hear what I and only I have got to say. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making His appeal through us. How does God the Father make His appeal for Jesus the Son? He does it through me. He does it through you. He's making His appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So we recognize. We repent of excuses. Well, what are some of those? I'm going to go through them real quick. Number one, spiritual apathy. Spiritual lethargy. We're just lazy. Amen? I, I, I mean, we just don't care enough to compel us enough to get up off or get out of where we are and we fail to obey and be that person who goes and tells and brings to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, a growing inclusiveness. A lot of people in church have, has accepted this mindset that all roads lead to heaven. All religions lead to God. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If all religions and all roads lead to heaven, then Jesus Christ is a liar because He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Do not be influenced by the culture to the point, well, I'm all right because I've got this. I'm spiritual. I believe this or that. Listen, 
If a person can get to heaven any way other than the Lord Jesus Christ, they ain't nobody going to heaven. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, a spiritual inclusiveness, a disbelief in hell. Um, I had a person who, well, came here. Just recently, sent me an email trying to get me to believe that there's no such place as hell. When I'm no dummy, I understand that the Bible uses several words to describe an eternal separation from God. And the word that's translated hell in the New Testament often speaks of a place called Sheol, the, pl- the grave. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus preached and talked about hell, an eternal place separated from God. I don't know exactly what it looks like, don't know exactly where it is. But what I do know is he talked about it enough to know that if a person does not receive Christ, they'll spend an eternity in a place of torment, separated from God forever and forever and forever and forever. And I promise you this, church, if we'd get one glimpse, if we'd get one little tiny glimpse of what hell is and what that eternity separated from God looks like and and feels like, every one of us would get up out of our seat right now and take off running out these doors and be telling every single person that would stand and listen to us that Jesus saves and He'll keep you from spending an eternity separated from God. A disbelief in hell. Busyness. Well, we know all about that. The unchurched. I mean, they need us to tell them about Jesus. It needs to be on our to-do list. We need to make it a priority of what's going on in our life. Fear of rejection. I can tell you this. I've probably been to maybe 250 houses, not church members, but people who are not in the Oak Hill community uh, over the last several years, you know, just walk up and tell them, hey, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. And you know, I've only had one that cussed me and told slammed the door in my face. Listen, people out there wanting something, they just don't know what it is they want, and they're not going to figure out what it is they want until you come and share with them what they want. We can't let that fear of rejection. Listen, remember, they're not rejecting you anyway. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's on Him. Hey, we're just supposed to be obedient and share the story. Well, a desire to be tolerant. Let me say this and I'll move on. The gospel is intolerant. I've said this for years as it's grown in our culture, especially in our school system and in our universities. Tolerance is the last remaining virtue of a society that has lost all others. The gospel is not tolerant. The same gospel that calls men to repentance, forgives their sin, and grants them eternal life is the exact same gospel that will damn a man's soul to eternity spent away from God. It is not a tolerant gospel. It's a true gospel. And people need to hear the truth. Losing the habit of witnessing. Well, you may have done it in the past and for whatever reason you've quit doing it. Well, it's a discipline. It can be regained. Start it up again and do it to the point that it becomes habit. It's just part of who you are and what you do. A lack of accountability. When we have someone holding us accountable, a friend, a church, a group around us, it can increase our desire for witnessing. 
Well, a failure to invite. When was the last time you invited an unchurched friend or acquaintance to come with you to the house of God to hear about Jesus? Take them to church. Maybe even take them out to eat after it's over. And all across America, churches that are not intent on reaching the lost. Listen, I like doing fun stuff. I like fellowship and all the different things we can do as we come together as believers. But our number one mission must be, must be to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it's anything other than that, we're gathered for the wrong reason. Church is not intent on reaching the lost. President John F. Kennedy made this statement. One person, one, can make a difference. And everyone should try. The life we've been given is an assignment from the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. And that includes us. You don't need to be someone else, somewhere else. We need to be who and where God wants us to be because our assigned life is not just about me. It's about those around me. And through that one that I reach, the world can be changed. Well, and since I'm not smart enough or foreseeing enough or intelligent enough, I just simply need to listen and obey what God has called me to do. And in and through that, we can change the world. Because our life could impact so many others, Jesus wants us to live prayerfully, walk carefully, and seek His kingdom first. And if we do that, then that one person will be laid out that we can reach for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One person can change the world. Will you be that person? Will you find that person? Will you be intentional? Will you be accountable to go and tell? And will you be mature as a disciple maker? Thousands, perhaps millions of starfish laying there on on the beach. What if you were that one that that little boy picked up? back into life. The place that it was destined. What if you were that one starfish and that man said, hey little boy, what difference can you make? And he'd have said, you know what, there's a whole bunch out here and ain't no way I can pick all of them up. I agree with you. The sun bakes it on the beach. Never to be what God wants it to be. Never, ever, ever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for that life-giving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, you didn't have an advertising plan on TV or on Facebook or on Google. God, your 
plan for that to be distributed is me. And these folks that are gathered here with me this morning. So Lord, as I've done to the best of my ability, laid out that vision. Who's your one Sunday? That God, where we challenged everyone to be that one that commits to being intentional finding that person that then jumps off the lily pad and goes and tells. And then, God, if there's anything holding us to back, help us to repent. Turn from it. Say, I'm going to lay it all off the line, on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ. God, work all of that out, we pray. Touch the heart of your people. Soften those hearts. Give us the heart of Jesus. His heart went all the way to the cross. May ours be willing to do so as well. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. Terry, you, or Patsy, you go ahead. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Number one, if you're here and you've never been saved, you've never been born again, you can never be that witness until you take that first step of salvation. If you're here this morning and that's the case, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are right now and come. If you're here this morning and you need to make a commitment, perhaps you've recognized something that you need to repent of this morning, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are, come to this altar and say, God, I've not done it the way you wanted me to, but I'm going to commit to doing it today. Not like those frogs on the lily pad, but God, I'm going to commit first with my mind and my will and my mouth this morning, but then I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do what I've committed to do. I'm going to ask you to do that this morning, right now. Don't let the devil hold you back. There's a, he's wanting to throw a chain around you right now, an old leash like I put around Cooper. But you break that thing off and you come this morning because Jesus wants you to break free of that chain this morning. And uh, all hearts and minds clear. Father God, we come here today to praise your holy name. I just want to thank you for another day of life. And Lord, I thank you for the message that we've heard. Lord, I just want to ask you to guide us as we choose the one. And Lord, that we... Uh, work with that, pray over it, Lord Jesus, and that we'll see your kingdom grow. Lord, just keep us safe as we come back to the next appointed hour. Forgive us where we fail you. In the name of Jesus, amen.